Welcome to the Health Autonomy at End of Empire podcast on Mask FM. A semi-monthly investigation into the struggle to create health autonomy and the revolutionary care to build a new world. If you're interested in supporting our network with a monthly donation, please visit patreon.com slash maskfm. Hey everyone, welcome to episode three, Reclaiming Wellness. It seems everywhere there's a flurry of wellness, in quotations. In the city, the yoga studios are as predominant in the pre-gentrification phase of a neighborhood as the cafe. CrossFit and Equinox are everywhere, gym classes filled with $200 pairs of pants. We're told which supplements to eat, what toxins we should worry about, and the million ways to get better sleep. Corporate wellness retreats, bland phrases of self-care abound, and a new rising industry slowly takes over our lives. Apple watches and Fitbits tracking the whole thing. What the hell is going on? What does this mean for us as a community who struggle for health autonomy? When we talk of the good life, how does that differ from the libertarian Whole Foods CEO, the Goop blogs, and the $100 workout class teachers? How do we differentiate our struggle from the neoliberal drive for mindfulness? To join us in this conversation, we have two of our comrades from the Woodbine Health Autonomy Group. Francis, a filmmaker who lives in Ridgewood, and Ita is a writer and a PhD student. So you want to say hi? Hi. Hi there. <laughs> All right. So maybe just to start off, uh, if you could give us a, a brief overview of, of what we mean when we talk about wellness. And this is a conversation that, that we have had a lot at the Woodbine Health Group, um, and I know that personally we've had um, kind of a lot. But maybe for somebody who has never really heard that term wellness and, and, and doesn't, um, doesn't know what we're talking about, what, how would you explain that to them? And then maybe just talk a little bit about what your experiences have been within this kind of wellness culture. Yeah, I mean, I think that question gets right to the heart of what we're going to talk about today. I think wellness as it stands, you know, in the broader culture is something that is so tied to all of these kind of commoditized ways of uh, trying to feel good that you mentioned, which is something that we're trying to define our understanding of wellness against. So... Yeah, and then I think, you know, my personal experience, which was the question, with wellness has been, you know, one of struggle to feel good, but I think in some way that is in accordance with, like, a communally oriented politics, or to feel, not just to feel like I'm purchasing a quick fix so that I can um, get up in the morning and, and go back to work and be efficient or so that, yeah, I can kind of, uh, like, f- yeah, function uh, as I'm supposed to, but, um, you know, a more holistic uh, understanding of wellness that I think is the only way at the end of the day to, you know, actually... Um, uh, have like the feelings of of joy and pleasure in my body and in mutually supporting others in the same pursuit that I'm looking for. Yeah, for me, I think I define wellness sort of in relation to my sort of earlier understanding of health, health and sort of medicine, and that's and these are sort of my personal definitions. I'm not trying to say that these are these go beyond that, but. Uh, my personal definition of health and medicine was something of like a crisis moment and then a fix. So it's like, you know, this is a gunshot wound. It needs to be fixed right now. Or this is a flu and, you know, it needs to be fixed right now. And I, in wellness, I sort of define as something that is sort of more continuous or sort of the ways in which you take care of yourself when you're not quote unquote ill. 
Uh, so it's more about sort of like a daily maintenance thing. And I think that's where it starts to get dangerous is that in that like a sort of like neoliberal or capitalist like understanding of the body makes it so that you're always having to sort of manage your body and maintain your body. And I think that sort of need in wellness to like think about what you're consistently doing to your body taken up under capital under capitalist thought as sort of like yeah it becomes about yeah management and how much you can pay to manage your body control all these things all these philosophies sort of like enter a space that i feel like doesn't inherently have to like embody control <laughs> um i came to wellness because from sort of my own personal history of depression and anxiety and you know being on antidepressants and them not sort of working in the way that i thought that they should be working or in the timeline i thought that they should be working and feeling like they weren't helping and therefore i needed to a more holistic sort of practice that would keep me quote unquote undepressed or happy <laughs> um and so you know i got into you know this is i'm not like this now but i definitely went through like about a three year phase where i was like I did the yoga, I did the teas, I did the tinctures, I did everything. Like I was sort of like on 10 with this goal of I need to feel good, I need to feel healthy, I need to feel happy, I need to feel functional, and I need to not feel like I can't get out of bed in the morning. And that sort of goal was like this beacon in the sky that was never unattainable because, you know, if I had to wake up and do a three-hour morning routine just to get out of the house, that's just not sustainable. So, you know... I, since then, I understand my understanding of that wellness as a sort of control issue. Um, and since then, I think I have moved away from that into a, a sort of practice that I would, that's more fluid or ever changing or like sort of, I'll talk about this more later, but just something that is sort of like listening to the needs of the body as sort of like the center and not necessarily this above my body goal of control and like happiness yeah i think that's really interesting that's something i was thinking a lot about this past week is how uh in this um kind of wellness industry like if you look at these lifestyle blogs like goop or something it's like wellness is the ultimate goal like you work your job you make a lot of money and then you go to these spa retreats or you buy these fancy supplements and i think maybe one like definition of wellness or more like radical definition of wellness might be something where wellness isn't a goal to like obtain as the end goal, but it's like you're taking care of your body so that you can like turn your mind to like, not, not to make this, right, not to say diminish the body, but like, you know, it's not a goal in and of itself, mm. but like we feel good so that we can build something else together or like the obtaining wellness is like a part of building something else. It's not the end goal in and of itself. I think that one thing that made me understand wellness outside of uh, sort of like the corporate sort of blah lifestyle blog version of it was my friends who deal with chronic illness and chronic pain where you can do all the right things and still wake up with the pain or you can one day do nothing and wake up with no pain and there's no sort of like one-to-one I did this and therefore Mm -hmm. and so you enter this like relationship with your body where you're kind of just listening and seeing and kind of conversing and it does become more communal and you just have to sort of like let go a bit <laughs> and enjoy sort of enjoy your body as it you know brings you pleasure and sort of respond to it as it brings you pain um and not judge one or the other as like this is me forever right now 
Um, and that inherently, I think, is a more communal understanding of wellness too, to think of like that chronic pain timeline versus, uh, you know, I have a headache, I took a pill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's like such a, um, a hard question to ask, like when we talk about wellness, because I think um, it's like everything, like it's really nuanced because uh, there are really a lot of aspects of it that are, I think, really important. And this is something we'll, we'll probably talk about in a little bit. But um, and, and then there, I think, maybe to the extreme and especially I think being here in New York City and, and maybe this doesn't relate to, to people. And, you know, I was just in Minneapolis and, and it doesn't seem like that culture is as as prevalent as it is here. But I think for anyone who lives in New York City or like L.A. and the Bay, um, uh, Seattle, these kind of like hyper capitalized places, you know, like the soul cycle, the like mindfulness retreats, the yoga retreats, um, things like uh, what is it? The boot camp, the Billy's boot camp that costs like, you know, an insane amount of money. Um, and I was just reading this article and I, I swear to God, the art, the name of the article is uh, inner peace with a side of abs. These hot L.A. bros are starting a wellness revolution. No beliefs required. And. Uh, it is unfortunately not tongue in cheek, but um, the they ta- they're talking about this group called Wildfire, which on one hand <clears throat> essentially is like getting people outside on Sunday mornings. It doesn't cost anything. You like run around. You're outside. There's a community there. Um, but this is kind of like how they talk about what they're trying to do. And I think this, for me anyway, really exemplified maybe why we're, we're talking about critiques of this kind of idea. But um, they say, most importantly, the wildfire does not care what you did on the weekend, so long as you show up on Sunday morning ready to feel a little bit better. In an Instagram post advertising a recent meeting, Ellis, who is one of the co-founders, wrote, as per usual, we're here to experiment with the unusual, breathing, relieving, resetting, letting go, exploring our discomforts, or... You can just be quiet and keep to yourself and learn to get high on your breath or detox your hangover. It's all okay. We love you and we just want you to feel as good as we do. No beliefs required. And I thought that that end part, that like the idea that there is no judgment, there is no, you don't have to believe anything to be part of this is at least for me, like what I see as the differentiation between say how like um, meditation as like a thousand year old practice and meditation and mindfulness for like productivity you know this idea there is a fundamental disconnection in the beliefs that are required so well i mean the wellness industry is also like hugely problematic the the more spiritual side for it's kind of like appropriative dynamic that suffuses so much of it one thing that's really interesting about that quote that i also think about a lot with the wellness industry is like this paradox i mean what they're essentially saying is you can show up to this place and just like be as you would if you weren't in this place (laughs) it's like so much of it seems to be selling back to you these like very fundamental ways of being in the forms of these protocols uh but really like the problem is not having the time to just like be like a relaxed human body. I mean, if you look at this, it's like there was some article in the New York Times a couple of months ago that was like how like good sleep is like the new boutique thing. And there are like these sleep clinics and people, you know, spend thousands of dollars trying to like get back their natural sleep rhythms. But it's like, no, the, the way to like get back your natural sleep rhythms is to like, you know, not have to work all the time and then, like, not be depressed and then to, like, actually, you know, these, like, just these very, like, free fundamental things that are kind of 
taken away and then like resold back to us in some ways like some paradox i feel that is rife uh, in wellness yeah another part of that quote um that if i heard it correctly kind of uh, represents that is it said something like do the unusual or feel the unusual and then the next word was breathing and I think that to sort of like think that like your routine life and your everyday life is the sort of high stakes, you know, extreme work that you're doing and that to take a, take a moment to breathe. And I don't know, I don't know what the quote was exactly, but like to, that breathing should be unusual is like a kind of wonderful space for them, for them to then sell you the space where you can breathe. <laughs> it's, it's just wild when you think about it like that, but it's, yeah. Well, maybe that goes into this next question. Like, where do you think that the rise of, of this kind of wellness culture, this one that we're to this like hyper-capitalized one, where, where do you think that comes from? Like, what, what do you think it's trying to respond to? I think it's seductive. I mean, you know, I'm just trying to think about myself before sort of entering or like even engaging in a wellness space. Like the idea that you're going to find sort of like ancient solutions that are going to help you to breathe and sleep and feel good in your body like this thing that that version of goodness is seductive and i think that you can only learn through maybe going through like through some version of this that it's an ideal or like it's a version of health that is predicated on purity and our bodies work via something more akin to like homeostasis like there's never like that pure, it's it's sort of like a re religious in that way, right? Like it's almost like you get to be cleaned and you get to have this space of pure, wonderful being. And it's unattainable, but it always sounds good. <laughs> and this language that they use, I I don't under I don't know Soul Cycle intimately, but I think that this language of like, you know, come here, it's judgment free, and you know, you could be whoever you, you like you want to be. To me, is because I grew up in the church. Like, just reminds me of preachers who are talking to people who are living in abject poverty and who aren't being served by sort of like, let's say, quote unquote, rational systems that are in place for them. Like that, this opening happens where you could, you could, these sort of preachings are like speaking to the pain <laughs> directly. But like with mega churches, like it's just infinitely exploitable. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the most basic thing that is maybe like too obvious to even state is that, yeah, people feel bad. <laughs> they feel like shit. And like, I think increasingly this kind of contemporary illnesses that are more pervasive are, yeah, like increasingly kind of across the class spectrum. Um, I mean, obviously, like, I think there are extreme differences um in like like people's levels of pain and and suffering but i think right this wellness industry is born out of the fact that like now you see like really rich high-powered people like white-collared workers who are like having mental breakdowns or anxiety attacks or um you know uh like severe chronic allergies or i think one thing that you're uh church analogy made me think of is also um like the way that what wellness can provide is 
is packaged to you. It's like it gives you a sense of agency. I'm just thinking about this idea. You talked about purity, and I'm thinking about like the inverse, which is toxicity, which mm-hmm. I think is like such a thing, you know, in all of these blogs, and you know, there's so much fear generated around the fact that like you know we're putting these toxic things into our body and we need to find a way to get them out and it kind of it gives you it puts a a face on the enemy of why you're feeling bad and it gives you this protocol to kind of get rid of it in some way that makes you like feel like there's something you can do that is immediate or something yeah i completely agree with that and i think that what's so sad about that that sort of vision of like the toxic versus the pure, the clean or the green versus the toxic is that it forgets that our bodies have filtration systems. So it's like this idea that like, should a single toxin enter my body, I'm like going to feel ill for the, you know, like, like, wait, you have a liver. Like (laughs) exactly. You've got kidneys, which isn't to say that we're not all filled with mercury and plastics, but, um, I think right. The way that this, the, the, the kind of, level it's it's just a matter of like generating fear uh and right working on this idea of like a pure body which is like you know totally ridiculous it's like yeah i agree with you completely yeah and it's true like it's not to say that our bodies don't have toxins and that we're not being hurt by certain things that are entering our bodies it's yeah but i think that it's also that if your goal is zero toxicity, like zero toxins in your body, which how is that measured? What does that even look like? Then I don't know. It's like, if, if that's your goal, then you are put into this place where your body doesn't know how to do anything for you and you have to buy shit, you know, like, (laughs) and I think that that is where that sort of ideology, like, Yeah, I mean, it's also, like, completely the antithesis of this, like, cyborgian idea that, like, we are all these, like, you know, complete, like, admixtures of our environments and our technologies and, like, and I don't know much of the science, but I think there's some sense that, like, none of, nothing you do can actually, like, get rid of the stuff that is actually in your body or just spending a lot of money or buying into some, some protocol or something. And just just uh, as a last thing to that quote, too, I think it's very telling that it said inner peace with abs, because I remember also when I was when I first sort of was in the space where I was vulnerable to wellness culture, I did have a very I wasn't trying to lose weight to look a certain way, but I did have a goal of like, I want to be healthy. That was my goal. And I wanted to feel good in my body and be healthy. And wellness offered a way that that looks like. (laughs) You know, and so it's like I think that wellness culture really ends up being diet culture that's just savvier because it's like, you know, I didn't I wasn't like, I want to lose 12 pounds and I'm going to go on like a weight loss program. But for me to look the way I look and be well, I just what you know, that, that the way I looked felt antithetical to being well. And so like even the weight of my body or like anything that my body was doing that didn't look like. Gwyneth Paltrow I mean that wasn't my (laughs) sort of goal but like you know you know what I mean anything that didn't look like that was a sign that like there were toxins in my body and I had to figure it out on a juice cleanse and you know maybe this supplement would like help me it's the same thing just savvier and more current to today yeah no I think and they even in a lot of the articles that I was reading like I think of this one so I listen to like a lot of these podcasts about wellness um and like, well, you know, the term biohacking or whatever you want to call it. But there's one that I listened to and the guy, he's really into light and the effects of light and uh, water on his body. So he buys like 
thousands of dollars worth of supplements. Like he buys water from like the, the mouth of the rivers in the Sierra. Um, and he does all this stuff with like light therapy, like shining infrared light into his eardrums and like up his nose and, uh, you know, sunbathing on the roof to make sure he gets like enough, like vitamin D. Um, but he lives in, in Hollywood in LA and it just like boggles my mind. They're like, you live in, in quite possibly one of the more toxic places on earth. And you're like perseverating around your light. And it's, you know, it's like if you lived in the middle of Times Square and are like worried about your light exposure. Um, so, yeah, I think that's like a big problem. This it, they're like trying to answer these real questions of like there are like tons of these chemicals that are in our body. Like even this um, like one of the things I always find interesting is that <clears throat> sometimes then the corollary of this like anti wellness is then like a um a support of Western medicine. Um, and I found it kind of interesting looking at some of the history of like how the wellness movement kind of like evolved. And like some of it starts even as far back as like the black Panthers and the Jane collective, these like very radical, um, ways of, of, uh, reproducing care and communities be out of a need because they didn't have like access to communities. And then that got taken up by, um, kind of like in the eighties and, and like late seventies with this like exercise culture. Um, but then uh, that, you know, looking at, say, like heart disease now that initially had been thought that like, oh, high fat was like part of the process for heart disease. And now it's looking like it's probably actually inflammation, which is like such a big term in like wellness culture. And that the whole fat thing was because these corporations in the 60s paid the FDA to um, to push grains, which now are becoming more and more clear that are probably not as good as we like originally thought. Mm-hmm. So it's like so interesting this like, you know, who, who do we trust, right? Like, do we trust the life coach? Do we trust like the doctor? Um, you know, because I think both are purporting an, an expertise that is like a fallacy. Um, and I think that's always like my big problem is that the wellness thing is like really trying to answer these like real needs. Like people feel like shit. They feel really anxious. There's like a deep understanding that there's something wrong. Um, And we're talking about this in the context of like last week was the Las Vegas massacre, which is like devastating. But then also like the PTSD of just you can't even watch the news. Like I can't turn the news on, you know, because it's like so depressing to me. Um, So it's like really answering this basic question, like people need community. um, And if they have to get community from their like, you know, $300 Equinox membership, well, like at least it's community, right? But like what happened, you know, what happens in that process? And um, yeah, that's why I find this to be like such a a fascinating question. I agree. I mean, I think I also struggle with this a lot. Like, um, right. Who, who do you trust? Like, there's just like so much um, information out there. Um, And one thing that, just practically has been really helpful for me. And I do think community is like a very big part of this. I mean, like someone, an herbalist I really like, you know, said something very basic, which is just like, be skeptical of anyone giving you advice who's trying to sell you something. <laughs> like they have an agenda. Um, but speaking of her, uh, one thing that's really helped me is uh, identifying people, uh, you know, one or two or three people who, I, you know, whose view of health or whose, you know, science to the degree that I can understand it, like, makes sense and kind of um, 
uh, yeah, figuring out like who you, you trust and just like having people that you can defer to so they are not like endlessly scrolling on the internet through all of like this fear mongering um i mean i think this is also what's seductive about wellness culture is that you don't have you know you don't have to do the research yourself um or you have to do just enough but you know or a lot of people don't have the time to like sit and spend yeah spend hours kind of understanding like how their digestive system works or like you know what whole grain is versus refined grains or whatever but yeah it's really helped me uh is what i'm trying to say just to like identify like two or three people um uh you know and i don't always agree with everything that they say but it's given helped helped me have a kind of yeah not feel so crazy when i'm trying to like find information about you know uh you know ways to you know try and improve my diet or whatever yeah, I totally agree with you that one way in which to sort of like combat the sort of like capitalistic version of wellness is to like find community and like sort of your more intimate face-to-face, person-to-person community because I think that that version of it is sort of, you're in flux with people and so you're learning from each other in a way that isn't about like somebody like giving you a dissertation and then you giving them a dissertation back. You're sort of like learning at the same time. Um, and I think that I had one thing to say about the Equinox community. I'm not the person to tell someone that feels like they have community at Equinox that they don't have community. But one thing that makes me skeptical about that is that what if you stopped going to Equinox? Do you then have that community or is that a community that you lose? And I think that that to me, to me, a community, if we're going to define, like if we're going to think about community with regards to health, it's like, where are you able to go when you don't feel your best? Mm -hmm. Where do you go when you feel ill, when you feel, feel depressed? Who can you tell, I feel depressed today? I'm not going to make it. This is not something I can do. Like, those people, like, those spaces are where I would say we could, we could start to define something that is a helpful health community. And I think that um, another way in which community sort of, like, removes us from this, like, sort of lifestyle wellness is that we need to learn a lot from communities that historically haven't had access to healthcare. So you mentioned the Black Panthers, the Jane Collective. I would think about trans communities, especially, and also immigrant communities. Just the ways in which, um, the ways in which not even that they seek healthcare, but the ways in which health is defined in those communities, I feel like are spaces to be in discourse with. Um, as a way of sort of disarming and def- defanging the lifestyle wellness. Yeah. Right, because yeah, they were never included kind of in this wellness industry or something. Or, right, you know, having to figure out, you know, how to have, like, community health in a more autonomous way is, like, I think those models are invaluable uh, in thinking about, you know, uh, what, how we can understand like wellness in a communal context mm. yeah. yeah i think it's also hard to this like uh the in- individualization i think yeah this like you buy your membership and then you f- you have this sense of community kind of like how facebook gives you a sense of or like a a feeling of having community but then at the end of the day is is that actually a real community um i'd be curious what you all think um i've read a few times in different places like um uh, maybe a positive example of like the zumba like the way zumba um is uh has been predominantly advertised towards like latina uh and like poc populations usually in not all classes but a lot of them i've seen are like in ymcas it's like 
a f- like five dollars or ten dollars um and that that has been like a you know, it took what potentially could have been just like a hyper-capitalized model and actually made it into like a more communal model. And in your experience, have you ever like seen it or heard anything about anything like about Zumba particularly? My experience with Zumba, I mean, I, it definitely has proliferated, but I think that everyone I know who does it is like really paying for it, like the classes or the DVDs and the... Um, And, you know, I think that if Zumba is getting people, especially in, like, POC communities to, like, go, you know, have fun and dance, then I'm not going to blanket judge it. But Zumba is an entire appropriation Mm -hmm. of dance styles that come from these communities that they're now being marketed back to. And I'm not, you know, that's not enough. I'm not able to offer a solution of, like, just, you know, go back to the source. Like, I, I I don't know what the solution would be, but I think that it's still sort of, bringing something that was that quote-unquote these people already had back to them in a packaged sort of product Mm -hmm. but that's just me thinking about it sort of conceptually i have you know i haven't taken a zumba class and i don't know about what that you know brings to people yeah absolutely um well maybe uh uh, we kind of already touched on this, but maybe you had other things you wanted to talk about, but like maybe specific critiques or, or, or ways of thinking that you've either experienced or developed around this wellness culture. And, um, and maybe, I mean, this is obviously a very difficult question, but like, why is it that wellness culture is not providing us with health autonomy? One thing I would say is wellness culture is not providing us with health autonomy because you have to buy your way in. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also think, um, Hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the example of SSRIs is is a good one and one that's been on my mind um, and maybe an entry into this question. Like, antidepressants have a, a role and they are useful and I've, like, experienced their uses, but, like, they're not, like, a solution. <laughs> if you make that, like, the thing that you're doing or if you're doing that, like, plus therapy if you can afford it if you can afford either of those things like you are um you know taking some steps towards like undoing your depression but like you're yeah you're still thinking in this incredibly um uh, you know along this incredibly individualized model of like uh I mean yeah what or, or those fixes are working on a very individualized model of what might, you know, not to say that depression isn't like chronic or, you know, medical, but I think it's not necessarily looking at, um, like context and, and societal factors. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think health autonomy, uh, would be like to be able to, and this is right. What we're doing, I think in health autonomy is to like have infrastructure to, um, approach some of these like really like widespread um, things that we all deal with um, without like medical professionals, without pharmaceuticals, which isn't to say that those can't play into our, you know, our solutions, but like they can't be the be all end all of the way that we um, approach these problems. Yeah, absolutely. There's one, um, there's one quote from this book, uh, the wellness syndrome that I was, uh, kind of reviewing, but, uh, they, the authors go on to the, to kind of critique this idea that this hegemonic idea of wellness has, however, zero intellectual substance. 
We live in an age instead of the, the official promotion of mindfulness, which is the aim of which is to calm the mind to a state of bovine acceptance, where nary a thought will trouble it. The modern idea of wellness is opposed to deep thinking. Instead, it encourages all to become happily stupid athletes of capitalist productivity. The author's brilliantly sardonic anatomy of this wellness syndrome concentrates on the ways in which the pressure to be well operates as a moralizing command and obl obliterates political engagement. The body for adherence of wellness become the only truth system, and the withdrawal into it leads to passive nihilism. If we're all obsessed with being well individually, the book warns we will not be well together, which I think goes to this point of like, you know, you're mandated to be well and um, this idea of, of that inevitably just like takes away your power um, you know, because you have no kind of autonomy to, to take over your health. But I really like what you were saying before, Francis, about um, negotiating states of like unwellness or, or you know, tolerance. Uh, for me, like tolerance has been so much a part of like some personal like quest for wellness, like um, not always obeying this mandate to like feel good or, you know, I think freaking out and having a lot of stress and anxiety when you don't feel good, but like creating the social and material conditions to exist in states of not feeling good um, in like the best way possible, I think is is one also um, like way of yeah. I mean exactly what you were saying. Thinking about the more communal um, aspects of care. Yeah, I mean there's yeah there's so much to say though about like the issue of autonomy and like um, kind of seizing back all of these kind of modes of being that you know or sort of practices that, um, you know, just have these like, very old traditions um, have only recently been things that are packaged and, and uh, sold back to us for a price. I mean, sometimes I think about the many ways in which, like, how, how are we really going to disarm wellness? Because I feel like, the, or like the wellness industry, because I feel like, a one one thing we sort of it's easy to like roll our eyes at it and everyone who's doing it but at this i think that they are very savvy at like like clomping onto something that people are really feeling and it's really like and it's you know to me i think about just like the way our bodies feel when they're oppressed and how that feeling and it's sort of like adjacent feelings are the thing that wellness sort of like promises it can heal <laughs> um and I think one way to disarm it, as you were mentioning, is um, to sort of stop demonizing feeling unwell. So it's not like, oh my God, why am I feeling bad today? What do I have to do? I have to do all these 10 things just so I do not feel unwell. And it's more like, okay, I feel unwell today. What am I going to do to help myself? How am I going to give myself more patience and more time? How am I going to move slower? Um, and these things in our, you know, in a world where people are working overtime just to like make enough to pay rent become like almost impossible things. Sometimes are you able even to slow down when, you know, you have to get to work or you lose your job, you know? And I think that that's one sort of opening in which like, can we as radical people come up with frameworks to, to sort of like, you know, a not demonize on wellness um, as one thing. And then there's like, to me, like a couple, I think that also like, you know, languages like self care were created to sort of address these things, but then these languages years later have been co-opted 
do we have to create new language or like, you know, in what ways can we like shift the framework to make the wellness industry obsolete? That's great. Well, I think that's a great, great place to take a break, a music break, um, because the, the next part, we'll talk about this idea of like, how, how do we reclaim wellness? Um, so we'll be right back. episode three reclaiming wellness so we've been talking about critiques of wellness culture and now we're going to talk about how do we actually reclaim wellness uh, so i want to read uh, a little quote or it's actually a long quote <laughs> to be honest but uh um, i wanted to read it in full because i thought it really kind of speaks to this idea of what we're talking about it's from life hacks of the poor and aimless and all the the articles that we're talking about are going to be linked in the show notes but the author says there's truth here what is also true, however, is that the young people I know who are, in general, the very worst at taking basic care of themselves as individuals, the people whose problems it is not that they don't drink enough asparagus water, but that they don't drink enough of anything that isn't day-old wine from a foil bag, are those who went through the student and Occupy uprisings of 2010 to 2012 and experienced briefly what it meant to live a different sort of life, what it meant to be part of a community with common goals of which mutual aid and support were not the least what it meant to experience that sudden, brief respite from individual striving and build a prefigurative society together. The lonely work of taking basic care of yourself as you wait for the world to change is a poor substitute. When you're washed up and burnt out from putting your body on the line to fight the state, it's especially galling to be told to share a smile and eat more whole grains. When modernity teaches us to loathe ourselves and then sells us quick fixes for despair, we can be forgiven for bulking at the cash register. Anxious millennials now seem to have a choice between desperate narcissism and crushing misery, which is better. The question is not rhetorical. On the one hand, Instagram happiness gurus make me want to drown myself in a kale smoothie. On the other, I'm sick and tired of seeing the most brilliant people I know, the fighters and artists and mad radical thinkers whose lives work might actually improve the world, treat themselves and others in ludicrously awful ways with the excuse, implicit or explicit, that any other approach to life is counter-revolutionary. The harder, duller work of self-care is about the everyday, impossible effort of getting up and getting through your life in a world that would prefer you cowed and in compliant. A world whose abusive logic wants you to see no structural problems, but only problems with yourself, or with those more marginalized and vulnerable than you are. Real love, the kind that soothes and lasts, is not a feeling, but a verb, an action. 
It's about what you do for another person over the course of days and weeks and years, the work put into care and catharsis. That's the kind of love we're terribly bad at giving ourselves, especially on the left. So kind of with that, maybe building off of that and, and your, your own things, how, how do we move forward? You know, what are, how do we build from these, these critiques and actually make it a nuanced practice about care? And you know, what, what, what would reclaiming wellness look like for you? I think for me, like, okay, from that quote, I really like that quote. And um, I think putting the Instagram happiness and the kill smoothies aside, because that's sort of like beside the point of wellness, to really interrogate our radical communities and sort of like some of the ideas that we have that um, may hurt us. And that like, I think that, you know, being part of several like activist groups or radical groups, it's there can be this idea that like you put yourself aside for the greater cause, this idea that you put your body aside for the greater cause and you're going to be out there every day, sort of like putting in the work and that there, I think there's so much wonderfulness in that way of thinking, but it leads to such quick burnout. And the thing about the structures that we're trying to break down is that they're not easy fixes. They're not coming down tomorrow. So it's like, what, in what ways can our spaces sort of like include in what ways can we come to our spaces when we don't feel good? I think I repeat myself with that. Um, because if we're going to be together for years, decades, like trying to fight this, the sort of interlock things that we're fighting, we're not always going to feel great while we're doing it. And we're not always going to ha- be able to put our bodies aside in order to do them. So in what ways can we link and, and sort of think more of our, and our, about our full lives and not just our ideologies when we join and come together? And I think that one way I would say that is that like a lot of radical spaces are very macho. And what the way I always think about that is like, if we're running in the woods away from whatever we're running from, do we go as fast? Is it the fastest person that gets to get away? If one of our community is in a wheelchair, what does that mean for how fast we go? You know, and to me, I'm like, everybody, everybody, <laughs> like everybody's going, right? So it's like person in wheel, like, person in wheelchair, how are they integrated into our spa- into the space and, and a part of the space? How does the space change because there is a person in a wheelchair? Not just to say the person who's running fastest is the best ideologue in the group and therefore we're all trying to run towards <laughs> that person, which it's, it's like hilarious, but I feel like that kind of uh, feeling can sometimes underpin a lot of radical spaces and it might be one way, you know, one opening to like figuring out how to, you know, the idea that like, the most radical life is to be like drinking the shitty wine from the foil and not taking care of yourself and not drinking water. And if you should take care of yourself, you're soft. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but I think that these ideas do underpin a lot of radical spaces. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, right. The burnout thing is, is real. And I think, uh, yeah, during the days of Occupy, I was just seeing so many people like reproduce this model of, efficiency or this imperative to like um produce 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 uh you know which is paradoxical um and and right not thinking about other like ways of actually like inhabiting time and space as like you know um part of uh of what their activism was um yeah and i think um i mean i think so you can take like the content of a lot of this wellness culture 
and unfold out from it like a more radical framework it's like we we've talked about this like we want good things like we want whole foods um and like we we want uh time to engage in these like body practices that make us feel good but it's like you know if we're not going to work like the fancy job to actually afford these things then like how are we going to get them or you know or why is it that like um you know that uh, you know america became this you know land of refined grains as opposed as opposed to whole grains like what 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 was the the you know um commercial mechanism like the industrial mechanism that made that such and like you know i'm not trying to i mean not trying to say that like this back to the land model is like the answer because you're not actually like changing anything if you you know learn how to grow those whole grains for yourself other than i mean i think that's important that is part of autonomy is like being able to like feed your community but um i just think the more you kind of un- unpack i don't know if i'm making this clear but like the more you unpack like um like what you actually need to be well and think about how you you're going to get that and like structuring your like group around that entails like building kinds of autonomy or like having a kind of um like material opposition you know if you look at right going off of this idea of these masculinist spaces it's like m- making care of the group part of the agenda of the group you know again entails these like these very these shifts that are already part of the activist work itself yeah like childcare like um you know can like how do you actually like facilitate all you know all different kinds of bodies with all different kinds of you know needs and and you know time constraints uh in terms of who you know the care that they're giving at home or you know how do you like how do you actually i mean it's the same as the running in the forest it's like how do how do you actually incorporate all of those people into your group and once you start to build that infrastructure you're already kind of doing the work of building autonomy yeah i think it, it like this quote <clears throat> i love it is you know the the idea of like people that, that this author really respects as like thinkers and whatnot but then a way that they treat themselves and the way that they treat others which i think you see through history like i'm reading this book about the russian revolution and you know like the 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 patriarchy that exists um the way that they uh, really just like drove themselves to to have strokes and heart attacks and and whatnot and even like within our spaces how rare it is to have uh, older people in our spaces uh, younger people in our spaces um and i think that 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 is a real critique that we we can't just say oh wellness capitalist fuck it all you know like this whole idea like we want whole foods but we don't want the store whole foods you know this idea of like um how can we take from what from what they have and and make it our own and um and i always think about this with like fitness or or whatnot that uh like i probably came to wellness through like fitness culture and like when i was younger was definitely into like working out like i'll just a lot like the the building muscle kind of aspect and i find even when i talk about fitness it's actually we were kind of talking about this before like i still have the remnants of this like productivity like i'm trying to produce a body that like fits into a certain model even though now the way i work out is more uh, like a functionality, like I want to be able to be doing 
push-ups when I'm 70. And, but I also want to prepare a body that's strong enough to fight for something that, you know, with all the things that are going on in the world, like Charlottesville and the hurricanes of like, you know, what would, what would a strength be that could let you help other people, you know, get off a burning boat or, you know, from a burning house or something to that effect. No, I think the way that in which you're talking about a sort of like desired look, but not necessarily one prescribed is like a really, I feel like if only, if only everyone could think about their bodies in a way where it's about what they want to do in this world or what they want to, what they want to sort of where they want to be helpful or where they want to, how they want to fit into their communities. And, you know, not just to dream about, dream those bodies, but like sort of think about where their body's at now. Like those sort of, that sort of like relationship to your body, I feel like is one that if it could be fostered in sort of a mass everybody way would completely disarm wellness culture. If um, only it were. Yeah, it's easy as saying it. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, because this is really my entry into wellness culture. Is like, you know, in some fundamental way, like my own very troubled relationship to my body. You know, I had this moment a couple of weeks ago where you know I'm part of this group and and like you know we talk about these things a lot, but I just had this this thing that made me realize like how I fundamentally sometimes still see my body in the same fucked up way that I did when I was in middle school, <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, it, it's going to take so much to start to like degrade these ways in which our like, uh, understandings of ourselves and our like relationships, like to our bodies and what they need to be like, our st- it's going it, to, I mean, it is going to take just like such change. And I mean, I think like starting to talk about these things is a part of that. But one thing I would say too, is like, you know, when you're talking about looking in the mirror and seeing your middle school body, sometimes it's just like what I, it happens to me too, but also um, to me, I try and understand those things as like part of the process. And I think that with depression too, it's like, I have this, I have this all or I used to have this all or nothing sort of thinking where it's like, if I wake up one day and I'm feeling depressed and I'm sliding back into four months and I try and, but now I try and tell myself like, you know, you're depressed today. It's not every day. So it's like, you you know, sometimes I'm going to wake up and have the same relationship to my body as I did when I um, was in middle school. But that in no way means that all the work that's been done to sort of unlearn that is gone <laughs> at all. Yeah. And in, in fact, sometimes that feeling comes back as a reminder of like some of the work that specific work that you have, still have to do. Yeah. No, I don't think. Right. I don't think it's a struggle that's ever going to go away, but it's right one that progresses. I do think it's really interesting. I mean, thinking about this fitness thing and, and this idea of like building strength. And uh, so, you know, what you were talking about in terms of, right, like what, what is your goal in um, trying to, uh, in working out and trying to like cultivate a kind of physical strength. And I mean, um, yeah, I don't think that that has to be confined to like lifting weights or what have you. I mean, I think that there's a way in which we can all like think about, you know, anyone who's part of like um, a kind of, you know, struggle against capitalism um, or, uh, you know, whatever horrific iteration, um, you know, can can think about 
health i mean this is sort of what i was saying before like it should be in some senses a goal but it should also be like a means and like you know i think sometimes you know as that article was suggesting the quote that you read like uh there there's a kind of um tendency to still you know despite the fact that i think this conversation around wellness has like expanded and and become like a, a part of these activist circles like still to view it as something that's indulgent but it's like no like we're going to need you to like be as like as you know have as much capacity as you can um you know in a struggle and so it's like it's not uh it's not an indulgent thing like we all need to i think be thinking about keeping ourselves well like well for for those reasons too yeah, I agree. I agree that, like, you know, our health is, like, important in term, as a means to sort of the struggle that we're in and entering into. But I also think that another way that I would like to or conceive of our bodies is sort of, like, for lack of a better phrase, like, the origin story and that, like, it is in my body that I felt queasy about certain power structures that let me know that they had to change. And the more that I center and sort of, like, listen in, the more I can't imagine not fighting for those mm. worlds, right? Because it's like, I feel like shit when I leave the house and I, you know, come up against capitalist structures, racist structures, sexist structures, and how they intersect. Right, so, so it's not like here's my body that's like struggling for this ideological cause, mm-hmm. but it's right, it's this much more integrated yeah. like way of being like, I I need to these I need to do this fight for, to exist in the world in the way that I like want to exist in it. Right. I think the body is a good framework because it's the space in which we can articulate and name our needs like in very concrete ways, right? Ideologies are important and, and you know help sort of like envision new worlds, but I feel like if I need this because my body needs this and my community or in, in my community our bodies need this, it's something that we almost can't not fight for. Yeah, and I think this idea of like the community, kind of what what has been brought up, this idea of like being able to go to a space when you don't feel like perfect, you know, when you're not well, um, and and the power of that. And I was even thinking about it the other day on the plane. Like I, I think I tend towards thinking about like the physicality because that's how I've like been raised, and um, like even my like presentation, I'm like you know stronger and and have focus on that and then i see uh like my weakness in the emotional area um which i'm sure you know many of my friends and exes can attest (laughs) um but i was even on the plane you know and and we uh a lot of us have lost a a very dear friend and the anniversary is coming up and it's been like on topic of conversation around grief and things like that and i was like oh i don't really feel grief anymore like i feel more of this like peace at it and uh and I was like, I, you know, I, I'll support people, but you know, that's not really my experience. And then I was on the plane and this like wave of depression just came and I was like, wow, like, you know, I needed other people to be open about their grief for me to even like be okay with, with that grief. And, and yeah, like that was really powerful and, and, and something. And, and yeah, then sometimes I find these like sitting in the morning and like meditating or just planning out my day is like important because there's so much bullshit out there that it's like, I just have to focus on the thing that I know is true. Like whatever that thing is, you feel like there's like that splinter in your mind. They say, you know, like something is wrong and like focusing on that, um, of being really helpful. But, but, um, yeah, as we wrap up, you know, just any last thoughts about this idea of care and, and, and 
maybe the transformative aspect of, of care and the self and, and, and what that can mean for us? This might sound weirdly negative, but I think that, that I think care is transformative. And I also think that care right now, whether it be communal care or self-care, is a phrase that has become a buzzword. And so I think that I would sort of implore us to sort of be more specific and active and less ideological about how we conceive of care. Because the ways in which I felt care and given care very often have not been... You know, care hasn't been something where I've been like, I'm going to do this for my community, and then I do that for my... <laughs> care hasn't been something where you're like, I'm going to do this for my community, and then you do that for your community. I think that care is so much about the needs of the people in your community as they shift and, and, and move day to day. And so it becomes this sort of... It's not something that we can set a rule around or an ideology around and then just sort of enact it. It's this the very complex, loving, patient listening that looks different every day. And I think that, you know, I would just say that as care rightfully becomes a, a word that we're using in activist and radical spaces, you know, us taking care to not make it ideology <laughs> and sort of like stay in that sort of vulnerable, patient, curious space when it comes to care. Yeah. Um, I think what both of you just said makes me think about just right the in individualized uh, kind of understanding of care that we all like need to have for ourselves. I mean, I think you know like what that actually what it means to take care of ourselves. I, you know, I think right like you know the the degree to which the internet and people have like thrown around this like Audre Lorde quote about kind of like self care being a revolutionary act. It's like. It's not a revolutionary act for everyone. Some like people and and bodies like have you know always been told that they're like worthwhile um, and you know have always kind of had like access to care. Uh, but you know that being said, like no one should set out to like f you know treat themselves like shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think you know one thing that has helped me is like to kind of understand my own needs um, and um, kind of, yeah, what I, what I need to function. And like, um, you know, sometimes it has felt super indulgent, but then I, you know, I have to remind myself that like, I'm no good to anybody if I don't, yeah, if I don't meet those needs. I mean, I think as a community, like we need to be like flexible in like moving being a good community means like being able to like understand like where care is needed and like how that labor gets mm -hmm. distributed and yeah and then I also think um personally embarking on some process of like thinking about these things a lot for myself has like helped me have a like more kind of um peaceable relationship to like the idea of of wellness or something yeah you, you make such a good point with that Audre Lorde quote. And just to like talk about that too, it's like the, the paragraph around that quote, she's talking specifically about black women. Yeah. And I mean, like black, yeah. queer, like woman. Yeah. And how they have been, you know, more traditionally barred from certain systems of care. And therefore, you know, so like, it's sort of like if you contextualize it, it's not saying only black women, black queer women should practice self care, but like that quote, I think it's not nothing that we kind of remove that part from that quote and make oh, yeah. it for everyone. The historical whitewashing is normal. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, great. This is an amazing conversation. Obviously, the, not the end, uh, just the beginning. Um, and what, I just wanted to end with this quote from uh, the zine's self as, as other, which talks about, about the Audrey Lorde quote a lot. Um, and I thought it was a great way of kind of rethinking what we mean when we say self-care. Um, and they go, your human fra- frailty is not a regrettable fault to be treated by proper self-care so you can get your nose back to the grindstone. Sickness, disability, and unproductivity are not anomalies to be weeded out. There are moments that occur in every life, offering a common ground on which we might come together. If we take these challenges seriously and make space to focus on them, they could point the way beyond the logic of capitalism to a way of living in which there is no dichotomy between care and liberation. So, so I thank you again for coming out. This is really fun. Thank you again to Mask FM for uh, hosting us and uh, be on the lookout for our next episode. And just to end, we wanted to have our moment of, of culture, kind of, the, again, this developing this idea of a culture resistance and looking at the ways that the, these ideas of strength and care can be exemplified in, in ways that are better than just mere words. So I wanted to feature uh, a poet, um, author, educator, feminist, Dominique Christina, uh, who's the winner of the 2017 National Poetry Series winner, uh, and her poem Karma, which I think is a great example of, of what true strength could really be. Thank you. We become poets in an attempt to tether words to righteousness our notebooks to social consciousness. Sitting cross-legged and anxious in wing-back chairs, we sip lattes to news of regimes, firing American artillery into crowds of folk, their bodies pickled by the sun. They line streets in countries we never think about, and we suck our teeth and ask a thesaurus to become a machete. And as romantic as pacifism is these days, I dream of dictators falling headfirst into karma and forget to be afraid if I could write this shit in fire. I would write this shit in fire. This ain't poetry, it's rage unmuted, a verb, a means, an end. This is my body. This is a sacrifice. This is an offering. This is Sankofa and Amanla, Southside Chicago and Compton, California. Red Hook Projects in Jersey, Roosevelt Projects in Brooklyn. This is severed hands, clubs against flesh, black boots to pregnant bellies. This is sterilizations, inoculations, leg irons and chains, the bit, the noose. This is a war cry. Tell Massa I'm coming back, carrying fire in my knapsack. Tell him. I'm Patrice Lumumba, Stephen Biko, Fred Hampton, Fannie Lou Hamer. Tell them they have been born again in me. Tell them I found my mother tongue buried under the rubble of the World Trade Center. Tell them this shit ain't no poem. This is me running naked from sugarcane and cotton fields having dropped my croaker sack. Tell him he can call me karma. I'm refleshing the bones a witch, a root worker, a sorceress, a priestess, a gangster. Tell him this is the result of segregation. Tell him this is the result of integration tell him I have never been invisible tell him he has never been invincible tell him I'm gonna melt the barbed wire and steel bars of prison yards they gonna flow over him like lava I am returned I am bloodthirsty I am fangs and hooks and swollen feet in welfare lines the gauntlet thrown down lines drawn in the sand I am a pock 
apocryphal, historical deletions gathering themselves up and into textbooks. I am the niece of exploitation on a rice and pancake box. Come to collect the royalties for Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben. I am a line of smoke, a rain dance, the tomahawk used to kill the first invader, the streets of Benghazi pocked in prayer beads and shell casings, the juxtaposition of faith and savagery. Tell him I'm African wide hips and American bulimia. Peace symbols affixed onto assault rifles. It is the deepest kind of contradiction. If I could write this shit in fire, I would write this shit in fire. Tell Massa I'm coming back. Howl in the wind, I'm coming back. Burr in your heel, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, Massa. I'm coming back, Massa. I'm coming back.